Hello, everyone, and welcome to RC Plane Lab. I'm Ron. I'm Tom. So, Tom, a little uh, exciting news on my end. Yeah. Might not be exciting for you, but it is for me. It's I finally got the uh, email to the invite for the Starlink beta program. Uh, what that means is high I get... High speed internet. You stole my thunder. Sorry. What that means, <laughs> high speed internet. I finally get decent internet at my house. Um, Which is a good thing. It's good not it's just great for thing, my actually. family, but it's good also for the podcast, for YouTube, for all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we're actually going to be able to start doing pretty exciting, interviews. Actually. We're going to start being able to do videos that I can actually upload quicker. <laughs> like, honestly, for me to upload a video to YouTube now takes between 10 and 12 hours. and Holy that's smokes. Yeah. And that's if it doesn't reset. Wow. Like, there are times where it will just time out and I have to start it over. So That's crazy. Hopefully... This works well, and I'll have it in the next couple of weeks, and we can get it installed and, and see what happens. But I'm I'm super excited about yeah, that. So that's yeah. that's good for all of us. I'm I'm all for making things easier for you because like <laughs> you you do honestly the lion's share of of most of the work, like the editing and the uploading, and that's like all so over my head. But I'm glad that uh, this will make things easier for you. I hope it makes it quicker, even that's though it's for not sure. really RC plane related. It really kind of is. Well, it's getting it and having decent internet is not. RC airplane related, but having it will make so much difference yeah. for like what we can do for the the podcast and stuff. So yeah. So will you have to like uh, install a dish or or do you have to like like what is this thing? So it comes with a dish that uh, is affectionately known officially by SpaceX, by the way. Oh, I can imagine is probably... Dishy McFlatface. <laughs> So sure. yeah, once 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 we get it delivered and get it uh, get it set up, really all we'll do for now because I can't mount it on the roof yet because it's way too cold. Yeah, um, it's like supposed to be twenty below, like four wind, below ambient and twenty below with a wind chill tomorrow. Yeah, four below actual. Needless to say, we're not going to do any flying tomorrow. <laughs> no, <laughs> but installing this is supposed to be pretty simple. Um, you set it out in your yard and turn it on. <laughs> so I'm hoping I'm hoping that's what it's going to be. Yeah. Uh, yeah, super freezing, excited. Freezing your giblets off while <laughs> installing this. Hey, that reminds me. Uh, because it's so cold here, mm -hmm. um, for all of our listeners and uh, YouTube watchers that are in the Midwest or other cold environments, this would be a good time to uh, top off those batteries. Oh, good idea. Uh, if you've been like us, if your airplanes are in uh, storage, uh, make sure those LiPos are still at their um, storage uh, charge voltage because they have a tendency to do what? They like to eat themselves. I just like to hear him say that. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they do. Like, they, they degrade over, um, yep. by themselves. 3.85 volts per cell is what you want to keep them at. That's the, the storage charge where they eat themselves less. Yeah. Um, yeah, because they will degrade no matter what voltage they are, right? Yeah. But that's the voltage we try yeah. to keep them at because that seems to be the voltage that is less... Detrimental <laughs> to their to their health. Also, yeah. um, top off or cycle those NICADs and uh, nickel metal hydride batteries that you use to, like if you like me in natural plane, you use them to power your radio, or maybe your uh, glow heater or nice starter if it's so nice equipped. Uh, you might I saw. Reach. By the way, like I always thought, you just called it a nice starter. I didn't realize that it actually like there are older versions of it that actually say nice starter on it. Yep. Like, I, I thought that was just like a slang term for, for something. You but, thought I made that up, didn't you? Well, I didn't think you made it up because you're not that clever, but I thought you heard <laughs> it somewhere. <laughs> I'm not very clever. I'll give you that. 
No, but yeah, I, I thought it was just like a, like I said, a slang term, not actually what it was called. But yeah, I saw one for sale. It was called a nice starter. Nice starter. I was like, oh, yep. I thought of you. Yep. McDaniel RC, I believe that's what they call them. Yeah. Orange. I think that's what it was. Probably yeah. orange and yellow, right? Without a replaceable battery. Yeah. Well, you know, the newer ones, I think. I think the newer ones from McDaniel, you can replace them. But anyway, uh, top those off or cycle them. Uh, keep those things good health. And and also, don't forget your transmitter. Um, if you if you don't do any building or, or um, adjusting over the winter, um, top off the transmitter too. Yeah. For us, um, <laughs> yeah. we do a lot of stuff with them in the winter, even yeah. though we're not flying. So that's not that big of an issue. But yeah, make sure you keep them fully charged also. Yep. So that way yep. they're ready for you whenever the time arises when that you can go fly. When the time comes that uh, it's not 20 below uh, and you can go fly, <laughs> your transmitter will be ready. Yep. <laughs> so we were having a discussion the other day mm-hmm. about airplane sizes when we were yep. kind of talking about this uh, uh, tri-motor we're building, which, by the way, we finally sc- – or you know, we, we settled on the size of 144 inches. And we got, yes, we got the new plans printed and they're behind us. Uh, Huge. So it, it's it's bigger. Like I really. <laughs> <It's> so big. <laughs> uh, like, okay, when I, when I saw the other ones that were 117 inch, I thought this could be bigger. You know, like this isn't all that impressive. When we were hanging these up and you were on one side of the plans and I was on the other side of the plans, which by the way is like the full length. Or the the full width of the wingspan. Yeah, you looked so far away. <laughs> I mean, like it. W- this is going to be a big airplane. It it really is bigger. I think than I was expecting. Yeah, the fuselage is over ninety inches long, mm-hmm. and the wingspan is one hundred and forty four inches. One hundred and forty four inches. But you know what? It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be. I mean, it really awesome. is. I can't wait to get started. Uh, but yeah, the size discussion uh, happened, and would you know ours is uh, what what the percent. Did you figure it out? It's like it's going to end up being like fifteen point four percent scale. Yeah. So um, the discussion of airplane sizing, you, I mean, it, it can be confusing, especially if if you're kind of new to the hobby. So um, I thought maybe we could break it down, try to try to make sense of all the all the numbers you might hear when you hear somebody talk about the size of their airplane. Yeah. So um, if you don't mind, I'd like to go with the scale first, if that's all right. The sure. percent one. Yep. Since we already said 15.6%. Four. What, right, sorry. It's 15.435, <laughs> I think, is what it ends <laughs> up being when you do the math. Yeah. Um, Which is so weird because I know where you're going to go. Go ahead. No, go on. I don't know Wait, where I'm going to go. So, Which is so weird. Like this huge airplane, you know, the, the plan printed behind us here, it's, you know, 12-foot wingspan, and it's only 15% scale. Yeah. Your yak, your huge yak, I, I don't – the wingspan on that one is 120? 126. And is 42%. 42%. Scale. So what that means is if we had a real tri-motor parked outside, which I wish I did. That'd be awesome. Um, it would take around six of these – hold on. Is that right? 15, 30, 60, 90. Yeah, six to seven of these, closer to seven of these RC airplanes lined up wing to wing to be the same size because it's 15% of the full one. Right. If we had a full-size, like, people-carrying yak, 54 sitting outside, it would take just over two of my 40% or 42% yak to make up the full size. Actually, I guess two and a half if we're really going to do that quickly. Right. Um, 
which means, you know, 42% of the full scale thing is 126 inches as opposed to 15.4% being 144 inches. Yeah. So I mean, the just full size, to, yeah, I was going to say the full size airplane has a lot to do with the scale. So a bigger scale doesn't necessarily mean a bigger airplane. Right. I mean, it just goes to show you how small these, these 3D, you know, uh, performance airplanes really are. Oh, like in real life, like yeah. the Yaks and the yeah. Extras and stuff. Yeah, they're tiny. Yeah. They're little sports cars. Yeah. The fact that your 42% Yak is still going to be physically smaller than our 15% tri-motor. It just goes to show you how big the tri-motor is and how small your Yak 54 actually is. And quite a bit smaller. Yeah, yeah. Not, I mean, not just a couple inches worth, yeah. what, a lot. Quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. I don't so, want to do the math. So, yeah, that's the that's the percent conversation. Engine size now is yeah. how a lot of these other ones are yeah. um, are classified. So, yeah, sometimes uh, we'll refer to our airplanes by the size of the engine or motor that's actually mounted to it. Uh, for example, you might have heard me say uh, when I was talking about my six, my stick, that it's a 60 size stick. Um, what I'm referring to is the, is basically the size of the nitro engine that's mounted to the front of it. It's a six tenths of a cubic inch, uh, nitro methanol burning model engine. Um, might be easier to frame the conversation by class instead of, uh, size, where class could kind of give you a, a general uh, approximation of the size of the airplane. So the the first class that uh, we'll talk about is the half A, um, which basically is any airplane that was powered by a Cox um, glow engine. You know, usually an 049 is kind of the most common one. 36-inch um, wingspan kind of is where those all hovered around. Uh, Cox made plastic airplanes back in the days, the 70s and 80s, and they were all 20 to 24 inch wingspan. Um, so when did that start, by the way, the Cox, the, like the Cox motors? Because I remember oh when I was young, would have been 80s, I had one of those. Um, it was actually control line, if I remember right. Yep. But it Probably. never, never, ever got started. <laughs> like, I think I think uh, Cox goes back to the fifties. Honestly, I don't, I don't oh, honestly wow. know, but it, they've they've you know been around uh, for a while. Obviously, they're no longer a company. It's like the the standard story that uh, stuff that's cool <laughs> is no longer available. But um, yeah, I'm pretty sure they go back to the fifties. I don't remember if I told you or not, but the I didn't find out till years later. Like after I started in actually flying RC airplanes, the reason that I could never get that one to start, I didn't know you had to have a glow plug igniter. Oh, yeah. So I had fuel in it. I had everything trying to get it started. Yep. And, you know, I would just flip it and flip it and flip <laughs> it and nothing ever happened. Like I cut my hands so many times on that propeller just trying to get it to start and yeah. finally gave up. Yeah. <laughs> and they weren't easy to start anyway. I, and at least in my experience, they uh, even the ones that had the cool spring start where you could like turn it against the spring and then let it go and the spring would oh, turn it over. Mine did have that. Yeah. Even those. And I, and I think that's when it came back or however, that's how I kept cutting myself. <laughs> but yeah, I've never successfully yeah. started a Cox engine before. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's the that's the half A. That that was a half A size airplane. Probably you were you were dealing with. So anything powered by a Cox engine, basically, uh, we consider kind of half A. Uh, the next uh, the next size, most common size, or next common size would be like the ten size or ten class, which is uh, an engine that's powered by anything in the sort of the ten size range. And when I say ten, I mean point one zero. That's one tenth of a cubic inch. Um, uh, and if you're talking with about four strokes, generally speaking, uh, this class would be powered by something in the 20 size four stroke range. Again, referring to the displacement 
two cubic inches. So not very big. So this one, if you're on YouTube, this one sitting in front of Tom, what size is this? Uh, this is an Enya point zero nine. So this this that airplane would, would fit squarely in this class. In the 10 size? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so this class is obviously a little bit bigger, a little bit heavier than the half A airplanes, the size, you know, the class before. Um, popular sport models in this class are usually around the 40 inch mark, uh, plus or minus. Uh, and note that, uh, you know, when we talk about four strokes, they, they require a bigger displacement within their class um, to produce comparable comparable power. Um, you know, the advantages to four strokes, uh, they burn less fuel because they only fire every other stroke. They uh, sound better. <laughs> they sound so much better. Um, and they have the ability, they produce more torque so they can, they can turn a, a larger propeller. Um, but it does take a little bit more cubic inch to be able to produce the same, you know, power or equivalent power of a, of a two stroke of the same size. Which seems to be about twice like yeah, that's, twice the, that's a good rule of thumb. Twice the displacement for the same amount of power. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because, I mean, like I said, you know, you're only firing every other stroke. So you only get that power stroke every half other the time. Yeah. Half the time. So. Which makes sense then. Yeah. Because it's, you know, twice the size for half the amount of power that comes but they out of do, it. But they do sound so much better, the four I really, I'm a huge fan of four strokes. Um, they're less offensive um, acoustically. Less offensive ac How about acoustically. That? How about I, that? I like that uh, because the they develop their sound lower in the in the frequency range, so it's less offensive to our ears. Okay, so there you go. <laughs> uh, so, like the next class uh, would be the twenty size class. Uh, it's a pretty common class. It's a nice small airplane, um, hot rods, a lot of them. Uh, basically, in this class, anything that's powered by a fifteen to twenty five uh, nitro two stroke or a forty size four stroke. Um, there'd be a lot of variation in the physical size of the airplane in this class, um, has to do with wing loading and, and, uh, things like that. Um, the weight of the airplane, the type of airplane, um, you know, a slick airplane, uh, that has higher wing loading, probably going to require a little bit more engine in this, uh, like more like a 25, um, uh, whereas a big floaty, you know, trainer type airplane, you can get away with a 15 in, in this class. Um, usually, uh, Sport models in this range are 40 to 50 inches on the wingspan. So next is my favorite class, uh, probably one of the most popular classes uh, or sizes. It would be the 40 size. Um, like I said, it's, it's my favorite size because they're easy to transport. They're usually fairly easy to build, um, and you can acquire a lot of them in a small space, <laughs> uh, which is – that's one reason I like them. Um, but uh, anything in this class – Probably going to be powered by something in the 35 to 50 two-stroke range and uh, 60, 65 uh, four-stroke range. Um, has a really, really, really uh, wide uh, envelope of sizes in this class because, um, you know, we're getting a little bit bigger. Uh, wing loading, you know, the, the we talked about Reynolds numbers and scaling before. Um, so this is a really common size, not only because it's easy to transport and easy to store and things like that, but because they fly good. So I had a 40 size Hangar 9 Cub mm -hmm. and that had a Sato 82 in it. Oh, yeah. So okay. that would have been, I mean, I guess that would kind of fall into that whole double the size for yep. the for the uh, two-stroke versus four-stroke thing. But, I mean, exactly. that thing flew really well. And that was yeah. that was on the bigger end than, I guess, from what you're saying yeah, for this size. It is. Um, because of it was just a floater? Yeah. 
but it had a big prop on it, so you didn't really overspeed it or anything like that. You just had headroom. Okay. Which headroom It was very is, slow flyer anyway. So. Yeah. Headroom is what I like to refer to as having uh, extra power available should you get in trouble. <laughs> so, kind of like a little extra boost. Exactly. In Mario yeah, Kart. It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it's not a, not a bad thing to have a little extra power uh, in times of need. Um, so here's an interesting tidbit. Um, so... There's there's a wide range of engine sizes in this particular class, you know, 35 to 50. Um, I think there may be 52 out there. Um, The reason for that is when – so manufacturers – Back in a few years ago, they you know were getting in you know marketing right. Everybody wants to to own the market in a particular size. So, what uh, engine manufacturers would do, they would they would bore out their forty size uh, motors, uh, bore them out to forty six or or even fifty, um, so that they would have more displacement. Right? There's no replacement for displacement. Makes more power, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so that the manufacturers could claim that they had the most powerful engine in the class. And also, Hangar Nine uh, marketed ARFs aimed at the fifty size range, which technically kind of falls in the forty size range, um, but primarily to sell the Evolution Fifty Two engine, which also happened to be owned by Horizon, and Hangar Nine <laughs> also happened to be owned by Horizon. So, so creating your own market kind of uh, is a good way to own that particular market. Well, and that's what the the P40 that we have exactly. is, is a 50 size. And yep. I think on the box, it actually says something about the Evolution 52. 50. It so, does, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So <laughs> so there you go. Interesting little tidbit, you know, to try to try to gain an advantage in the, in the marketplace, just bore and stroke your engine and try to produce the most power. And you could say, hey, we have the most power in the class. Sell more engines that way, right? So, uh, like a fifty size, they're all the same footprint then as a as a forty yeah. size. It's yeah, all like just an, internal. Yeah. So, like an OS forty, um, let's say an OS forty LA and a forty six LA, exact same uh, exact same crankcase. Interesting. Yep. So there you go. Uh, so the next class, uh, sixty size, which is also a, a popular Warbird class, um, and as the Size implies it's powered by a 60 uh, size two stroke or um, anything in the 80 to 90 or more uh, four stroke uh, range, kind of in this uh, in this class. Um, the spans can you know 59, 58 inches uh, up to over 80, 80 inches on some airplanes. Uh, like a big floaty airplane is probably going to be over 80 inches. Um, the uh, this this size was really popular with pattern airplanes back in the seventies due to the uh, the rules that were in place for pattern competition and also scale competition. So I think that's kind of what led to the sixty size Warbird um, popularity, uh, and also happens to be still kind of within that somewhat easily transportable uh, size range. Somewhat. Yeah, it's getting more difficult. Yeah, yeah. It's not um, a car anymore. Exactly. Most yeah. of the time. Yeah, so next up would be the 90 to 120 class. Um, and we'll start talking about CCs here because we're getting into that uh, that range where gasoline-powered engines um, develop enough power and are easier to operate or easier enough to operate to be kind of compared with their nitro cousins, if if you will. Um, so the bas- shunned cousins. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's Gaso- no there's gasoline n- is taken over. Yeah. There's no denying that the glow engines are are not as popular as they used to be. They still they still have a diehard following. You know, myself included. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I have many of them and will continue to fly with them. But uh, yeah, the gasoline we start talking about the size here. That's a twenty cc. So anything kind of um, twenty cc uh, 
gas is kind of a comparable to a 1.2 cubic inch four-stroke uh, or even a two-stroke nitro motor. You can kind of lump them all kind of in this class. Um, generally following the trend, you know, bigger airplane equals a, equals more power. Um, these airplanes are kind of nearing the limit for glow power. Um, anything bigger than this, the glow engine just consumes so much fuel that it's that it's not economical to run them, uh, even though I love them. <laughs> Um, but gas, I mean, there's no denying gas is cheaper to operate, especially when we get into the bigger airplanes. So when we're talking about, like, serious question, when we're talking about this tri-motor, how much is this going to run, like, fuel-wise? How much is it going to cost to run it? This is going to be expensive, even well, though it's four-stroke, but there's still three of them. Yeah, there's there's three of them. Um, and it's, you know, it's going to be expensive. So we're talking, like, over if a we, dollar a minute. Well, I, I haven't actually worked out the math per, <laughs> per minute. Um, but... Generally speaking, a uh, a YS or even this OS one twenty that uh, that we're going to put on this one, um, it's it's not. I mean, you could probably drain a ten ounce tank in about five minutes. So two at, no at, at you know so at, two ounces a minute. Uh, two four that's six ounces. Ron's doing the math. I'm trying to do it in my head, head really quick. How one hundred twenty eight ounces in a gallon? So I just went dumb. What is? Did your brain just go stupid? My brain went stupid. 128 <laughs> ounces in a gallon, six gallons in a, or six ounces in a minute. That means a gallon is going to last 125. No, a gallon lasts 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Oh my. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we just did the math. A gallon is going to last us about 20 minutes. Well, I mean, that's at like full throttle. I mean, obviously they're going to be they're going to be a little more. Um, fuel conservative at half and we're, hopefully we're going to have headroom so, so we're not going to have to fly the, at wide open a gallon at 20 minutes a gallon is 30 dollars so that's about a dollar 15 ish per minute per minute so to fly that thing for an hour is going to be about 75 dollars wow but we're only going to fly it you know in, in probably 10 to 15 minute increments so you mean 20 to 25 dollar spurts exactly <laughs> mm-hmm Oh, this is going to be fun. Let's do it. Well, but I mean, like I said, we're going to be hopefully, because we have headroom, (laughs) or we hopefully will have headroom, um, we won't have to fly at at much more than half throttle most of the time. So, oh, I'm just double your figures. (laughs) Even if we get 40 minutes for a gallon, I'm okay. 50 bucks for an hour of flying. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Yeah. This is. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, that would be you're a, buying that, the fuel. That would be a good. That would be a good <laughs> argument to go gas on this it, particular airplane. It would, except the engines are a lot more expensive. They are, but uh, you know, where do you want to spend <laughs> the money? Do you want to spend the money on fuel consumption or, or on engines? I, I want four know. stroke. Well, you can get gas powered four strokes. Sato makes them, and so does OS. Hmm. Yeah. Actually, there's a few companies that still. Make, I think Cavan and Moki still makes a gas. Gas two stroke, I think. One for the fact that you already had stroke. some some motors, it would be worth the discussion. But right, that's right. cool. Maybe yeah. later, we'll see. Yeah. So anyway, the, yeah, the engines or airplanes in this size are kind of nearing, the, like I said, nearing the limit for glow power because of economy, um, for one reason. Um, and the the gas powered engines in this range are starting to make up for their kind of. So a gas engine, generally speaking, doesn't produce as much power because it's running on gasoline. Alcohol produces more power. I mean, per cubic inch, alcohol is the is the big winner. Yeah. Um, that's why race cars burn it. Um, but and uh, it smells better. It does smell good, especially when you put clots in the in the 
in the mix and burn that too. I love that smell. Anyway. What is a clot? Clots, the oil. The lubrication that the two strokes use in the in the oh. fuel. Yeah, that's where the smell comes from. And for what one are you talking about now? Are you talking about nitro, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> uh, sizes in this range, they can uh, they can reach uh, 90 inches ease quite easily or, or even more. Um, but like I said, we're nearing the limit for glow power here. So from, from this discussion on, uh, we'll mention the glow equivalent size, but it's not realistic to fly with that. Uh, especially when there's so many options available uh, gas-wise. So are all glow engines then in American units of inches? Yeah, well, so no. No, okay. (laughs) Okay, so as a general rule, though, if you hear somebody talk about like a cubic inch engine, they're probably more than likely or more likely than not talking about nitro? Yeah, usually. Um, but they're, you know, as America has had done forever, resisted the the um, the movement to go to the metric system. Uh, most American companies that produce, well, all American companies that produce nitro motors, it was always cubic inch. Um, in Europe, uh, that that's not so much the case. Um, you know, they still refer to even even way back when in nitro motors, they were all they were all in CCs. So. Knowing knowing those popular sizes like a 120 is the same as a 20 cc. Uh, ha- having those handy is is um, convenient when you're shopping for engines or or what have you. But uh, but generally speaking, yeah, nitro motors are are sort of referred to by their displacement in cubic inches and not cubic centimeters. Well, because I notice like the oh, who makes the 15 cc gas ones like RCGF and I think Horizon had one too. Yeah, Evolution they, I think made one. Yeah, Evolution. Didn't they have one down like the 10cc? If yeah, I remember actually right. Evolution made an 8cc that they packaged with their P51. I think we've talked about that one before. Um, that I think Reggie has that one now. And that was an 8cc which technically was a was like a 40, I think it was a converted Evolution 46 I think. So it's just interesting though that when they're talking gasoline, because those are all gas engines, they right. went to CC CCs, for, yeah. for talking about size. Okay. Right. <laughs> and I think that's what always gets confusing to me because I don't know the conversions. I don't know it off the top. I just know, like I start with a 1.2 cubic inch and I know that that's right around 20 something. It's 20 CC plus or minus one or two. I think I did the conversion a while back, but knowing that it kind of gives me a, a jumping off point if I need to do a conversion up or down from that. Well, yeah, because to me, a 20cc airplane sounds bigger than a 1.2 size airplane. So if you're talking like a 120 versus somebody saying they had a 20cc, I think the 20cc is bigger. It, it does, you know, the number 20 is bigger than 1.20. So I can, I can see why you would think that. But as we get farther along in the discussion here, I, I think to me personally, uh, and I'll explain that when we get to the really big ones. But next on the list is the 30 cc. So we want, we go from 20 to 30 cc. Uh, this is about 1.8 cubic inches. Still See, sounds, sounds yeah, tiny. Still, still sounds bigger. I understand. Okay. Um, common sizes, 80 inches or bigger. Uh, I've, I've seen airplanes over 110 inches uh, wingspan in this category. Um, this has been a uh, a really popular size for warbirds. Uh, actually, World War II fighters are are you know becoming really popular in this size. Like that new OV-10A, which is not a World War II, 
230s uh, CCs for that, uh, which I'm really excited about. I want to own one of those someday. <laughs> uh, anyway, do it. Uh, popular size uh, for uh, warbirds and uh, ugly, pardon the expression, ugly profile planes. They seem to be popular oh, in this size too. I think you're going to get a lot of feedback. I on probably that one. will, but I, uh, I'm not a big profile airplane fan, so it's they okay. are ugly. I yeah. mean, like I'll, I'll give you that. They they're not like you spend all the time building the wing. So cool, the wing looks awesome. And then it's just a piece of flat wood. <laughs> I don't get it. I've never flown one, so maybe if I flew one, I'd be a you know a they, convert on it. But they do they do fly well. The simplicity I understand would be yeah, awesome. They do, but fly it just well. seems like it would be a, a pain to not have it look nice. I like airplanes that look like airplanes. For the but most that's part, that's just me. Although um, I guess they have their point. They do. I mean, like they make really good three D. Like if you're into you want to get into three D type flying, they make really good three D trainers. And they're not very expensive, so they've got that going for them, too. True. Okay. So, you, you've uh, got me convinced. Yeah. So uh, so next up would be, like, uh, the 50cc size, which seems to be... Uh, seems as big. As far as gassers go, um, this is probably the most popular size um, because, uh, well, these are, these are uh, uh, to back the conversation up a little bit, these are equivalent to a three cubic inch. Uh, not impressive. See, now, to me... 50 cc compared to three cubic inches doesn't it doesn't sound like three cubic inches sounds huge not to me because i'm used to dealing with like 40 size nitro two strokes which are four tenths of a cubic inch and now we're talking three full cubic inches i don't think i've ever thought about that being a four tenths of a cubic inch right because that sounds even worse yeah but when you frame (laughs) but (laughs) to me when you frame it that way that three cubic inches sounds oh 50 cc that's like an eyedropper or something it seems awfully small to me i don't know Oh, i never thought about it that way so now they sound small yeah but at 50 cc yeah they they do um that at 50 cc we're getting we're getting pretty big uh on the airplanes um usually they start around 80 inches which is you know I mean, that's the size of a door. You know, walking through a door here in America is 80 inches. So that's height. pretty pretty good. Uh, height. Right. Door height. Walking through it, it's, yeah, height. <laughs> um, so that's a that's physically a, a big airplane. Um, this is a really popular size with the 3D type aerobatic airplanes, um, which you have now. Not ready, but well, yeah. but you have one. You I have, have like, two in this size. I was going to say you have like 17 of them. Well, two in this size. Uh, and they do fly really, really, really well. So uh, what do you think is... makes them that popular for what they are? Is it just the the sizes? Yeah. You know, it, it, so. you can snap roll. You can do a lot of, of things quicker with them than you can with the huge ones. Yeah, and they're big enough to to, to fly better. You know, we, you know, bigger flies better. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not so big that they're really difficult to transport. Like a 50cc uh, size um, aerobatic airplane is still, I don't want to use the word small, but it's still small enough to where you can transport it by a you know a medium to large SUV. You don't need like a trailer or a truck to transport them. Yeah. So I think that probably is is one reason that uh, that why they're so popular. Um, they're still they're big, but they're not so big that they cause uh, real problems with storage or transportation. <laughs> yeah. Not like the next size, 100 cc. Uh, that's six cubic inches. I mean, to me, that sounds huge. That's, Tiny. Six cubic inches, that's like, you know, lawnmower engine size. I mean, I think a Briggs & Stratton is uh, 
what are those? I think the 13 horse is almost six cubic inches. I don't know. So that's... Could be. I, I might be wrong on that. But anyway, we're talking big, big airplanes here. Um, very large. Uh, they, some of the bigger ones can be 165 inches for a big, big float, you know, floaty type airplanes. Um, 165 inches in the case of the new, new-ish, I should say, Hangar 9 Carbon Crafters Cub. Um, huge, huge airplane. Um we should go bigger with the trimotor. Yeah, here we go. Uh, airplanes of this size usually going to require, you know, when when you start talking about airplanes in this size, you know, you're talking moving them with a trailer, uh, a really big truck, or or a minivan with all the seats folded down. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Storage, you know, you got to have a big place to store an airplane like this. Um, it's funny how as we as we move along in the in the size conversation, we 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 kind of get away from talking about the size of the airplanes compared to the size of the transport <laughs> and vehicle. talk more about what you have to have to take them to the field to get it to the field yeah. yeah so you go from a car to an suv to a large suv to now you need a trailer yeah which means you still need an suv to pull the trailer well yeah or a truck or a truck yeah for sure <laughs> um yeah and then so here's somebody say yeah i've got a 150 cc blah 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 or 170 cc <laughs> yak blah um, blah blah at this point, they're just huge, like ginormous. Like, does size even matter at this point? They're just they're just flipping big. Yeah, because bigger is better. So I don't know what you're talking about. Size always matters. Mm. So there you go. So there you go. That's uh, we've broken it down for you. Hopefully that makes some sense. Um, I know when I uh, when I I still kind of have to do some thinking when somebody says, "Oh, I have a you know a forty two percent yak." I'm like, "Okay, forty two percent yak is not a terribly big airplane." So, but yeah, um, hopefully that'll make some sense to you, and you can uh, take that and uh, have some understanding when you're at the next club meeting and somebody tells you, "I got a sixty size Mustang I want to sell." And if you have any questions on that, reach out and let us know yep. um, because we like hearing from people. We absolutely do. Speaking of that, we have a few uh, listener questions to go over now. Okay. Uh, let's start with the one from John. Uh, he says, thanks again for all the great material. Love listening while I drive. Have not checked out the videos yet, but I definitely will. He said, opinion and a question. Number okay. one, Fly Sky Radio. He hey, said, I've used this. We happen to be giving one away. Oh, we didn't say that, did we? No, not yet. Hey, <laughs> we're giving this radio away. So yep. go sign up to win it. <laughs> <laughs> so the contest has already started. Uh-huh. All you got to do is go to our webpage and click on the the, uh, the giveaway link, um, and that'll get you registered. And then you can get a bonus extra entry by clicking the YouTube uh, link right there on our page. Gives you an extra entry, opens our channel up in YouTube, and hey, while you're there, check out some of our videos. Yeah, just click the link at the top of the page, and also on the main site, uh, the, the first post has it listed on there too, so you can just click on that. Yep. Uh, anyway... Back to John's question. Okay. Fly Sky Radio. He says, I've used this radio only thus far in my re-entry into RC after 20 years of life. Uh, I love it, but it is not the most convenient. I paid $18 for mine used at a pawn shop. Wow. 18 um, bucks. That's awesome. That's a good deal. Yeah. yeah. As long as you know it works. It's a lot of radio for $18. That's a lot of radio for 50 bucks even. That's I mean, all things considered. True. Yeah. Considering what we paid for our Spectrum radios that are a lot oh, more expensive well, than that. We don't need to talk about that. <laughs> Uh, he says, programming is a little awkward, yes. and YouTube is your friend. Oh, um, I didn't even think of that. Really? Yeah. Like, huh, that's a great tip. That's... <laughs> I, yeah, really? I, no, really. I uh, Wow. 
I thought I could uh, just jump right into the programming and, you know, it took me a while to set up the flaperons, but I didn't even think about checking YouTube. <laughs> okay. It would have saved me so much time. He says, it does everything I have ever wanted it to do. Flaps, flaperons, multiple models, telemetry, using Turnigy sensors. Um, oh, yeah, that's a great tip too. Use the Turnigy sensors. Yeah. Instead of the expensive Spectrum ones. Uh, he says, I've used several different receivers and they all work except the ones for drone. I eventually made it work by rewiring a harness and it was a little pain, but oh my, is it light. Uh, <laughs> I hope to upgrade to a multi-protocol transmitter so I can fly my existing planes, but also Spectrum, looking at a jumper, need more channels and easier programming. Yep. Now to get to his question. He yep, says, okay. I'm building a Skeeter 36 inch from plans. Uh, okay. It is a profile 3D type of plane. So. I'm not going to hold that against you, John. <laughs> I it's hope you okay. didn't just upset him. Nope. Um, the wing went together really well, but seems to have an ease of twisting as it mm. is drawn. Mm -hmm. uh, I have not covered it yet and am contemplating ways to eliminate the lack of resistance to twist. Uh, any ideas? Thanks again and appreciate the podcast, John. Yeah. Um, so, hi, John. Uh, hope I didn't offend you with my... Um, ugly profile uh, airplane comment. That's just my opinion. Um, and having said that, I have flown a few of those. So um, it's not that I hate them. I don't hate them. I just like my airplanes to look like airplanes. Now, with that out of the way, and so by the way, welcome back to the hobby. Uh, it's so good to hear uh, from folks who have either had to get out of the hobby for, for you know, life reasons or whatever, to find that they come back to the hobby because that that's my story too. I mean, you take little breaks here and there, but I always seem to, to come back. Uh, mm -hmm. So I love hearing that, that other guys and girls do that too. Um, and I'm good. I'm glad to hear that the flies guys working for you too. Uh, I've had great experience with it so far. Um, and I agree the programming is a little wonky. I uh, wish I had used YouTube, which uh, I will from this point <laughs> forward, because uh, I'm sure other people have encountered the same issues that I've encountered while trying to program it. But uh, yeah, for $18, I'd say you got one heck of a deal. So as far as the ease of twisting in your wing goes, um, that's a pretty small airplane. Uh, it's probably designed to be built very lightly. Um I mean, if, if the if the twisting is really concerning you before covering it, I would say uh, you could you could sheet it with balsa. You know, you could get some maybe some sixteenth inch sheet balsa and create some skins, uh, like on our making a wing skin how to that we uh, that we put out there, um, and then sheet the wing. You could do that, um, kind of like the way you sheeted your dualist wing, Ron by just sheeting kind of the leading edge and a little bit of the trailing edge, yeah. that, that will add some lateral torsional uh, stiffness. And it will save a little bit of weight. It will, yeah, rather than sheeting the whole wing. Yeah, yeah for and sure. And a little bit of money. <laughs> and, yeah, balsa is expensive right now. So, yeah. so anything we can do to save money, like in our Saving Money episode, uh, so much the better. Um, so that's one way you could do it. Um, you could try adding some shear webbing uh, to the to the fronts of the spars, and that's basically cutting a piece of uh, balsa to fit in between the ribs, running you know with the grain running up and down uh, vertically, um, glued to the to the fronts of the spars. That well, will add. Why, why running up and down? Like, so wouldn't it go the wouldn't it go horizontal? So a lot of people. Well, I'm not going to say a lot of people. Sometimes people get it wrong and they, they put their shear webbing in with the grain running along the length of the wing. And that's that's not terribly bad. I mean, you're not doing any harm. So what I just said, I got it wrong. 
Well, I was trying to put it nice. I don't want to put anybody down or discourage anybody from building, but the grain should run vertically on your shear webbing. Um, and the reason is they're resisting a shear force. So if you can imagine you've got a, a spar on the top of your wing and a spar on the bottom of your wing, and when your wing flexes, like when you pull out of a dive, let's say, your wing wants to flex. It wants to bend along the length of it. So when it does that, uh, the spars tend to want to move um, in opposite directions relative to each other. And what resists that motion is that vertical grain that's resisting that shearing motion. Um, oh. So if you, if, you, if, you can imagine, okay. if you can imagine grabbing a sheet of balsa, you know, one hand on top and one hand on bottom running the length, if you try to shear that apart, if the grain is running the same direction as your shear force, it'll be easier to shear it apart than if the grain was all running vertically. Does that make sense? It makes absolute sense now. Hopefully so that was explained um, well enough for everybody else to understand. Hopefully. Um, but anyway, you could, uh, John, you could, you could add shear webbing and that will add some torsional resistance. Not a lot, but uh, will certainly strengthen your wing, uh, especially on a 3D type airplane uh, that's going to pull a lot of Gs. Not a bad idea if it doesn't already have them. But now this is a pretty small airplane, so it is really covering alone would add a lot of strength, wouldn't it? I think so. I mean, like you'd be surprised how much having that tight like drum material on the top and bottom yeah. pulling right. is going to strengthen that up. Yeah, and and I believe that uh, in this particular situation, John, I think if you cover your wing, um, I think that's going to add the necessary stiffness to to accomplish the designer of the airplane's goals of uh, keeping the wing torsionally stiff. So at 36 inches, um, that's pretty small. Uh, the wing loading on a on a on an airplane that size is going to be pretty light, uh, especially on a 3D type airplane because it's not going to weigh very much probably. No. Um, so I don't think I don't think the twisting is going to be really all that big of an issue, especially once it's like Ron said, once it's covered. Yeah, I think covering is probably the best way to do it. Just yep. try it out, and yeah. I think that's going to yep. solve more of your problem than you expect. Yep. Yep. And I think adding the extra weight of, of, of either the sheeting or the shear webbing, if it's not already designed into the uh, airplane, um, adding that weight is just going to add to the to the wing loading and the airplane may not fly as well as the designer intended. So I it'll, think in it'll this have case... To, it'll have to fly faster. It'll have to fly, you know, exactly. a different angle of attack and stuff to make up for the weight. So exactly. yeah, I think you're best just following yep. the plan. I think just, uh, John, I think just covering the wing, uh, getting that covering nice and tight, I think that's going to that's gonna do everything it needs to do to keep your, keep your wing torsionally stiff. Right okay, on. ready to move on? Yep. Next one. This is from Seth. Seth says... Easier. Hey, Ron and Tom. I am a new listener to your podcast. I just came across it looking for some info about RC planes. Well, that's what we're here for. That's why we're here. Uh, I'm new to the hobby, even though it was a childhood dream. Mm -hmm. Just life and responsibilities kept it from happening. Yep. Yeah. I think that's it happens. a lot of every, or like yep. everybody's story kind of thing. But it, I mean, not, not to get away from Seth's question, it's so easy to get into the hobby nowadays. Yeah. You know, it really is. No, like, I agree. Like the barriers that were in place cost uh when i was young are just really i mean it's it, in technology in technology um yeah it's, it's so you easy were, to get in you were lamenting about that the other day but <laughs> yeah uh, i think it's opened up uh, the hobby to a lot more people that it, it wouldn't have opened it up to without yep, it yep. 
Sorry, didn't mean to derail the question from Seth. Uh, anyway, he says, but I'm 35, jumping in at full force, and listening Good. to you guys is helping me make up for lost time with your knowledge and experience. Oh, well, that's <laughs> wonderful. I'm glad. I'm glad that we can we can help. Uh, yeah, in some small way. Yeah. Um, keep hey, doing. If we, hey, if we've saved somebody fifty dollars on their entry into into the hobby, I think I think our, we've done our job. Really, the only thing we have to say is pre-flight, pre-flight, <laughs> pre-flight. I mean, that should be yes. the that should be how we open every show. Hey, download our checklist off of our website, laminate it, and keep it in your flight box. Pre-flight. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so keep doing what you're doing. You guys are doing an awesome job, and I really enjoy each episode. Seth. Thank you, Seth. We appreciate that kind of feedback. Yeah, I appreciate that. So he reached out to us on the uh, on the contact us form on the website. Okay. So if you guys want to do that too. Go do that. Yeah. Seth, Very welcome to the hobby. Uh, so happy you've joined uh, joined our ranks. I don't know if we're so ranks. happy you're flying. Yeah. There um, you go. And hopefully um, we can we can uh, convince someone else to get in the hobby too. Yeah. Tell your friends. Tell all your friends. Everyone you know. It's a great hobby. I mean, it, there's. I mean, what's not to like about it? You're right. We've talked about it before. You learn so much. All right. Next up is Matthias. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'll go ahead and read this one, if that's okay. Have at it. Welcome, or hi, Ron and Tom. Uh, thank you for your awesome podcast and greetings from Sweden. 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 Is that why you wanted to take it? Because I it did, said Sweden? because yeah, it's from Sweden. Okay. I think that's cool. Swedish meatballs? No? No. Uh, since I started flying model airplanes last summer, Sorry, I've been borrowing a Spectrum DX7, all right, good radio, Generation 2 from a really nice guy at the field who is helping me with everything. Um, I think it's a great radio, but sadly, I've had some problems with it. Uh, first, the component that handled the sound and simulator stuff stopped working. Well, that's a bummer. Um, the guy I got it from fixed it, and I got it back for free. Uh, I made two flights with my UMX, and now the throttle stick has problems. Uh, if I push the throttle stick all the way up, the transmitter thinks it's somewhere between 70 and 80%. Uh, he says different numbers every time. Um, hmm. if I push the stick somewhere, the transmitter will slowly go there. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing that my transmitter doesn't like. Uh, the worst thing I can think of that I have done are these. Uh, he says the transmitter batteries at six and a half volts, uh, and it's a two cell. So he's under 3.3 volts per cell. 2S LiPo. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So that could be part of it. That's uh, a problem. He says, uh, using it in minus 10 degrees Celsius, uh, 14 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, so that's less that, of a problem, but... Well, it is less of a problem, but LiPo batteries don't like freezing temperatures. I mean, they'll work, right. but don't let them sit out yeah. for long periods yeah. of time in freezing temperatures. Um, and he says he stores it in sunlight. Now, I'm not sure if he means... <laughs> I guess like, that means that the sunlight will keep it above 14 degrees and keep the battery from freezing. <laughs> um, well, he, yeah. So he <laughs> says, uh, is this transmitter just a bad unit or am I doing something very wrong? Um, he says, what are the don'ts with transmitters? That's actually That's a really a good, good question. question. We could probably yeah. cover that in a whole episode. <laughs> um, I have planned to buy a DX6, but uh, now I don't know after this. And he says, Matthias. Um, first of all, hello, Matthias. It's good to, good to from Sweden. have you contact us all the way from Sweden. I think that's awesome. Um, and what a nice guy. Uh, at your at your club field to loan you his DX7 radio. That's a really great radio. Um, I've I used to own a DX7. Um, Before the first, I upgraded you an IX55. 
the first generation. Mine was a little bit older, yeah. um, but I had really, really great luck with mine. Um, and I don't think you'll like, if you want to proceed to buy a DX six, I really don't think you're going to be unhappy with that. Uh, Spectrum produces a really quality, uh, com- uh, radio. Uh, so, but Futaba does too. There's, I have nothing against Futaba. I just yeah. fly Spectrum, but, um, I, I, that's getting back to the the guy that uh, loaned you the transmitter. What a, what a, what a great, what a great guy. And that's, that's one thing I love about the hobby. There's always someone willing to lend a hand or let you borrow stuff to get you going. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I'd say starting off, I'd say your battery voltage is, is probably going to be your biggest, uh, the biggest thing that we're, we've got going on here. What do you think? I would agree with that. Yeah. Like I run a two cell LiPo in my transmitter too, and it, it usually hovers around eight to 8.2 volts. Yeah. Yeah. So, when we get, when we get to low voltage like that, um, things get wonky to, yeah. to steal your terminology. Yeah. <laughs> I like wonky. <laughs> I don't like wonky, but I like the word. I like using it. Uh, I actually learned that one from Lori. Oh. Um, but yeah, at low voltage, your transmitter is going to do some, probably some weird things. Um, something you can check though, uh, you can, you can sort of kind of, uh, check the condition of the, of the gimbals, uh, by watching the servo monitor screen as you're actually moving the, the gimbals. Uh, and what that means is, you know, as you move, let's say we're talking the aileron stick, uh, if you move it, you know, right to left, you can actually watch what the computer inside the transmitter is interpreting your movement um, and it'll show it right on the screen. So uh, that would be one kind of check you could look to see if maybe something inside is wrong. Um, but my guess is probably your biggest issue is the voltage, I, I really believe. Yeah, charge it and see what happens. If yeah. not, um, I think there's spectrum service centers all over the place. Yeah. Just do a Google search and right. and find out where the nearest one is yeah. and give them a holler. Yeah. And, and Spectrum is and really, really good about service. Um, yeah, we've talked I, about that yeah, before. Yeah, I can't tell you. I mean, just the few times that we've sent stuff in and, and really only been charged shipping. Um, oh, you didn't – well, I mean, you I had paid, to pay for shipping to get there. Right. And then and – Yeah, then, but there was no charge for shipping yeah, back or anything. Yeah, received it back did. in the mail yeah. at no charge. So even for stuff that was – which we will say, by the way, is not necessarily the norm. So don't right. don't do that and get that. charged and get upset with us for saying that. That's just right. how it happened to us. That's for, but I mean that their their service is is pretty pretty good and top notch and pretty quick turnaround too. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, granted, we have the advantage of living fairly close to their service center, yeah, um, but even still, away. yeah, even still, the turnaround at their shop was pretty quick. I agree. So. Um, yeah. In the meantime, I would charge up that battery, make sure it's uh, make sure it's fully charged, uh, which we'll talk about on a on one of our how tos, how to charge a lipo battery, uh, coming soon. Um, but uh, charge that battery and then check out that servo monitor screen. I will say it probably depends on that one though, because I know with my old generation one DX8 for charging, you just charge it with the the wall wart mm-hmm. charger that came with it. There's yeah. nothing special to do on that, so yeah. it it handles all yeah, the balancing designed, and stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. designed uh, to be charged with that. Yeah. So I'm sure that's the same for this probably. second gen yep. DX7. But uh, other than the voltage, um, storing it in direct sunlight, well, I mean, that's obviously something you probably don't want to do. Um, but that, I think, will affect more the outside appearance of the radio than anything inside, as long as it's not getting hot. Yeah, um, like and it if depends. It's in a, you know, if it's in a car with the windows rolled up in 100-degree weather, yeah, then you probably don't want to store it that way. No. And it depends, too, I think, like what he means stored in sunlight. You're not going right. to leave it in sunlight for, you know, 12 hours a day. It would have so. to be in a case or it would be under shade of some sort. So 
Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it depends what he means, but right. yeah, and, don't leave it in the sun forever. Yeah. But. And using it in the cold um, shouldn't, shouldn't be an issue. You know, short, mm-hmm. short periods of use in the cold weather. Like, I mean, I've, you know, every January 1st we try to fly and it's, sometimes it's pretty cold, maybe not 14 degrees, um, but, uh, but definitely cold. And for short periods, I think, I think the cold is okay. As long as yeah. when you're storing it, you're storing it inside at room temperature, ideally. I agree. So, so yeah, Matthias, welcome uh, to the hobby and we hope you have continued success and we hope you get your radio uh, issues figured out. All right. And the last one we have isn't a question, but uh, I thought it was very interesting, the, the comment. So I wanted to read it. Okay. It's from Ron. And he says, Ron and Tom, I'm cleaning out boxes and came across model airplane magazines from my high school days. Attached is an article from the October 1968 issue of American Aircraft Modeler on the Ford Trimotor. Much yes. has been written on the Trimotor, so I doubt this will add much, but I thought I would send it along anyway. Cool. As interesting as the articles are, the ads that surround it are a lot of fun, too, like the four-channel citizenship proportional system for $400. That's $400 in 1968 dollars. <laughs> yeah, that's way back when. Yeah. says, other companies were selling for less, so citizenship must have been top of the line. Mm. I put the $400 on an online inflation calculator, and it said it would be worth $2,970 <laughs> in today's dollars or seven times or 7.4 times as much which makes sense a 35 or a 3500 family car then would sell for twenty six thousand dollars that's about right okay so i'll be honest if i had to spend almost three thousand dollars on my radio alone i would not be in the hobby goes back to what i said earlier i mean you know the the some of the roadblocks that were in the way to get in the hobby back then were in this case cost and that's a lot of money. Yeah. I like yeah, I can't yeah. believe that. I can't I can't imagine spending I mean like four hundred dollars even today on a radio is a lot of money. To me it even is. Even in today's dollars. Back then, that's crazy. That's about what I spent on my DX eight when I bought it. Yeah. But me too. That was not with inflation, almost three thousand dollars. No. Well, I remember, a little off topic, but my dad, when he bought the first VCR we had, mm. the VCR mm-hmm. was a thousand dollars. Like Holy and smokes. that was I think eighties. Yeah. So yeah. that's actual yeah, actual money and the first calculator he bought <laughs> i think he said it was like eight or nine hundred bucks oh my gosh and that you can was buy back. them for like 50 cents at the <laughs> at the gas station nowadays now they're built into every single thing that well, you yeah. can get i mean yeah, i think and yeah. i think he said that was back in the 60s when they first came out mm. so yeah I, I can't imagine just things have come down so much in price it's amazing they really have. which is good yeah. because now we get to have more planes and have more fun with them true Anything else you want to talk about, Tom? No, that's uh, that's pretty much all I had to cover tonight. Awesome. Well, then, until next time, I'm Ron. I'm Tom. Good night. Good night. <laughs>